Hi, Chris. How are you? Yeah, hi, Rod. All is well here in the shed. Yourself? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. The sun was out today. It's always a pleasure in South Wales when you get a bit of sunshine. Uh, same here. It's been stunning today. Absolutely stunning. Excellent. Well, we've got that uh, that on our side and we've got an episode of the podcast and here we are in episode 14. So we may as well just dive straight in, I think. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So we had one little bit of and that was uh, a bit of research that the first Apple Intel Mac was actually released in 2006. That's a decent amount of time ago. It's always a lot longer than I realise, I think. I, you always think of Intel being quite recent, but actually, it's been a long time. And was that the iMac? No, I think the first one was a Mac Pro. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, because they used they used the old Mac Pro body, the cheese grater body, cheese grater. Yeah, and they stuck Intel chips in it, and they would have been Core Duo chips at that point, I think. And that was the that was the de- the dev kit. They would have been Core Duo chips. Ah, uh, yeah. No, it was. Do you know what the dev kit was actually a Pentium Four? There you go. Because it was literally just a Pentium Four, and then when they actually commercially released one that you could you know, a regular customer could buy. That's when they went to the core duo chips. And some just even had a, I think you could get like a Mac mini, which is with a core chip in it. It wasn't even a core duo and it was very slow. Core solo. Yeah. And core and, solo. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, Mac OS was a heavy old beast in those days. I mean, it was no slower than it was in the power PC ones of the day, but I remember it, you know, the, the benchmark used to be in how fast does Safari launch now? Do you remember that? And how fast will it render our web page? It was. Wasn't it every point really Safari snappier now? Yeah, absolute nonsense, really. And then we truly get faster machines with the later generations of Intel and the improvements to the operating system. And look where we are now. What, what I always like with um, operating systems is both Microsoft and Apple are guilty. It's trying to do fancy visual effects when the computers just weren't up, up, up to muster. And then actually we've all gone flatter and much simpler in the aesthetic. And I was just wonder why weren't we simpler at a time when the, we didn't have the horsepower? Maturity. So an operating system runs to maturity, and, and the whole flashy effects. That I remember watching Men in Black, the first Men in Black movie, and Mac OS was Mac OS Ten was shown in that, and thinking, wow, it's it's futuristic enough to appear in like a that kind of thing, but yeah, too much really. You're right. I did actually see that film. The I saw it advertised the other day, and I thought actually it'd be a good one for my kids to watch. And I wonder how it's held up because I haven't seen it in I don't know, at least 10, 15 years. Say so, I'm, I'm curious to see how how that's holding up. That's a good one to report back on, I think, for the media section is how did you get on with that and where did you buy it or did you rent it or how, how you got there? So that'd be good. Okay, I'll, I'll try and do it with the, with the boys and see if I can get It's hard with children to get them enticed into a film that you're interested in. Obviously, they won't have the same affinity for it, but just trying to instill in them some of the films you enjoyed as when you were younger. I did uh, manage to get the children to watch Snooker and they quite enjoyed the Snooker. It's on at the Crucible at the moment. Wow. So we were sat on a three-seat sofa like three old men watching the snooker. <laughs> well, that's a nice family activity. You're playing football last week. You're watching snooker this week. That's It's very wholesome, Chris. It is nice just to do something with the kids. And even if it is just watching snooker, which I get isn't the most exciting thing to watch, but it's easy for them to understand the rules. They could easily comment on which ball they think the guy's going to hit next. And it, it was just nice to sit down with the boys and, and do something that wasn't computer animated. Yeah, it's good. And actually talking about a little bit of sport and media, let's just get on to a bit more follow-up, in fact, because you were tasked with going off and watching a bit more Severance, as I recall. Yeah, so I think think I've been quite good. So I've gone away. I've rewatched episode one of Severance just to get me back into it because it's been a few weeks. Quite enjoyed it, but still found it a bit slow, which I get is part of scene setting and the eeriness. I then watched episode two, and I'm going to do a mild spoiler here, but Christopher Walken's in it, which I 
think I knew, but I'd forgotten. And then I saw him just appear and I quite enjoyed that. I quite a fan of Christopher Walken. And then once I got to the end of episode two, I was then into it and I've watched most of episode three. And so, yeah, no, really enjoying it. It's a bit slow for me, but I, I keep I keep going because I think the, the story is really interesting, how it's all coming together. And I won't do any more spoilers. No, I think that's fair. And I was very cautious talking about it. I've I've seen all of Severance now and thoroughly enjoyed it right up to the, 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 the final episode. And I'm glad that it's been renewed for season two. I don't think that's a spoiler to talk about that. It's it's a very clever show. I like the concept of the split between your work life and your home life and what that looks like. And the 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 sheen we've talked about before and how that applies to Apple shows really sort of comes over in that and it works well. So no, I'm really glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, no, it's good. I'm enjoying it. I do like a bit of sci-fi every now and again, so um, it's not near my normal go-to. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it, and I will see, I'll see this through. Now I've now I've caught up on some other shows. I think I've got got room in the week to to fit this one in. That's good. So for me, I was meant to go off and watch a bit more Pachinko. I think you were going to do that too. I haven't. I've still only got the first episode. There's a reason I've only got the first episode at this point, really. But uh, how did you go on? It just hasn't stuck with me. I've struggled to fill it in. I haven't watched it, and I. I haven't been drawn to it. I think maybe like Severance, maybe it's one I'll go back to when I've got a bit of time. Um, and look, coming up in media, there's a lot of good stuff coming. I'm not sure when I'm going to get time to go back and watch a few of these things. Oh, this is it. You need to get on with it. So I'll go very quickly from my bit of follow-up. I started watching Slow Horses and thoroughly enjoyed it, actually. I think it's Gary Oldman's first TV role. I hadn't really thought that through. You know, he's a great actor. He's been in so many films. First recurring TV role. He's been in episodes of Friends and stuff. You know this. I guess you're up to date with it as well. I didn't know it was his first TV role, but now you've said about it, it's like, oh yeah, of course it's his first TV role. I can't recall anything I've seen him. I think he's awesome. He's so good. Yeah, yeah. It's a good show. It's well done. It's it's very British, I think. I'd be surprised how well it translates to, to other countries, but sort of the sad spies thing, washed up spies thing, works really well. No, very impressed. I think it's quite cool how they've taken spy genre, which has always been quite a cool genre to do anything with, but actually you're taking like the rejects of spies, which how often do you get a TV show you know based around the rejects all the people that didn't quite make it and it's really good to see i love it i think that season one is actually the first two books compiled into one season so i think half the season is the first book and half the season is the second book and i can't remember if i mentioned it on the last show but i have then gone under splurge on audible and bought all the books and i'm slowly working my way through it so um i love it i think it's so good and gary oldman is amazing and he's i know um christian scott thomas is in it too but just the two of them are the really well-known actors in it. For, for me, anyway, I don't I don't recognise any other other names, but they're all really good. But it's great how you've got a name like that to pull you in, and then you've got lesser-known actors doing the other roles, and it works really well. And they've probably got as much screen time, if not more. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I really enjoyed it. It's well-acted. It's well-scripted. I'm eagerly looking forward to Friday now. You know, I binged it over the last couple of days, so I'm waiting for the next one to come out. It's great. I like the weekly release schedule. I like that you've got to wait a little bit for it. So um, no, I think it's awesome. And, and did you watch it on your own or with the family? On my own. I watched it on my own. It's probably not one for the family, although they did get quite upset with me that I watched Coda by myself uh, a couple of weeks back as well. So you can't win them all. Yeah, I was just thinking because your family's a bit older than mine, whether, they, whether it be in their Venn diagram of stuff they might watch with dad. Yeah, they probably would. One of them started watching Severance with me as well and said, oh, I'll come back to that, and they never did. But what I find is I've got homework for the show. I just need to get on, you know? this. I, I, I took one for the team, Chris. Yeah, it's quite hard scheduling stuff with other people because calendars don't always work, do they? It's a fact, it's a fact. So there we go. I think that'll about do it for follow-up. On to the news. Yeah, news. I was just going to pick up here. I think it was Mark Gurman announcing the yeah, potential M3 coming. I was just like, 
oh, what's going on here? Are we getting an M2 or are we going to skip that and go straight to M3? And then there was lots of talk around all this software coming out and the next iPad. And I was just like, there's just so much rumours, but I don't think there's anything concrete at the moment. There's just lots of, I think, hearsay because it is a slow news month. And so I'm interested to see where we go with the M3. I'm not in, into buying a new Mac myself, but really curious to see what, what Apple do just to keep moving forward. Because in the same vein, there's then also talk by 25, 2025, that is, that we have two nanometer chips as well. So it's it's quite exciting. I think what's happening in this space, they're really pushing the envelope forward. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm surprised we're already... To- we, we, uh, given that there's an M1, you know, eventually there's probably going to be an M5, an M9, and an M12, unless they change the naming thing. So it's not that surprising that there's going to be an M3. I, th- this kind of rumour annoys me slightly. Can we not get through the M2 part of it first, really? You know, you, you're sort of immediately moving down the road a little bit. And the M2 might be really cool for lots of reasons. And as we talked about last week, it looks like the M2 is going to be in lots of different Macs upcoming, with the exception of the iMac, which wasn't on our list that we talked about last week. So, you know, I, I, I kind of want, let, let's get to the next generation before we start doing this. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I glance at the rumours at best, just to see, see what's on the periphery. But until something's actually released or an announcement's made, I don't pay them too much credit because I want to see what's actually happening, not what what's just been rumoured or people are, you know, reading the tea leaves to suggest what might be happening. Yeah, and what he's saying, and and the quote in in the article, which we'll reference in the show notes, is that the latest edition of Bloomberg's uh, Mark Grumman's newsletter says that an M3 version of the iMac is already in the works, although it isn't clear what kind of advances the technology this chip will use. It's interesting to know that Apple is already aiming its entry-level processor for another Mac. And maybe that's why the iMac wasn't listed in in, in, in what we talked about last week, that they are saving it for the M3. But I'd be really surprised. I've got to think they'll do an M2 iMac first. Yeah, I'd like to think they're just going to constantly iterate everything rather than having big periods of time. So little and often updates, I would support that, you know, because it just makes buying choices a lot easier when you're sending a family member in to buy something. You can just go, go and get what you want. And oh, no, don't get the bad one. And you, you don't want to be a year from now and the M1 Mac still going and everything else has got an M2 in it. So I'd hope that they would just, even if they make no other changes, I hope they would just drop the chip in and move on kind of thing. And, and, and now they're in control of the whole, the, I say the whole piece, but more or less the whole stack of what's inside an iMac. Hopefully they can do that a bit more now. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, the second rumour that we've got on our list, little list of things in news here is what you alluded to a minute ago with the two nanometer chips. So I think I've explained this before, but the smaller uh, you can get a chip, the closer the components are together. The closer the, closer the components are together, the faster everything in within it is and more energy efficient as you're not having to move electrons around on a chip over a very large scale so there's always a pursuit to make chips smaller and smaller and smaller the article which again we'll link to in the show notes talks about moving to a two nanometer process um with tsmc which is taiwan taiwan semiconductor i think is the name of the company that do it they're already making apple's chips yeah i think i mean this is inevitable isn't it that we're going to just keep shrinking the size of the chips as they go. What what I don't know though is how the competitors doing this. Like where are Microsoft in this? What, you know where are the other chip manufacturers? Are they starting now to get to that position where they're keeping up, or is Ash, Apple actually trailblazing? They seem to be. I mean, 
Apple are at five nanometers now, and we know Intel are only just about getting there with their current chips now. In fact, I think most of theirs are on seven nanometer or, or above, even at this stage, even with their 12th generation Intel uh, chips. The only chip maker that's produced a chip at two nanometers is IBM. IBM, you know, being the leader that they used to be many, many years ago, but only in prototype form. There's not mass production of two nanometer chips at the moment. So I think Apple is going to be amongst the first to do two nanometers, but I think three, three nanometers is actually next on the timeline and then down to two nanometers at wider scale okay right I, and I, I guess though with apple i mean it's got to be at such a scale that's the thing is it? it's not like they're doing server chips or bespoke chips it's at such a scale that's oh, it's enormous isn't it it really is yeah you know from your iphone to the ipad to whatever's in and you know the apple tv and now in the studio display those chips go everywhere and they get repurposed the older ones so it is millions of devices if not billions of devices at this point we're talking about it's not just being wanged in a server center somewhere as you said so yeah will, will the m1 ever make it into the pro phones <laughs> i don't think so let's we're, we're what i think we're a13s are we currently is what the m1 is i think it's a or maybe an a14 oh okay sorry yes the m1 i think was yeah well i don't know i think it was an a13 variant yeah where they spun it off so a13 which is two generations of chip ago right with ipads and iphones and things now so the chip that we're all saying is the new hotness in the ipad the m1 is actually two generations old so if you think by the time we get to whatever's in an iphone in 2025 which is when they're saying the 2020 the two nanometer process comes along that's maybe a huge step up right okay yeah, but do you think there'd ever be a point where you got a new iPhone coming out? You got the regular iPhone 16, for for an example, and the 16 Pro. At what point does the 16 Pro get the same chip that goes in the iPad, and the 16 regular just gets the A chip, and the A chip actually becomes this lesser thing? Do you think that would happen? It might happen, but I think as with all things Apple, this is more about marketing what it is they're putting in the devices than anything else. The chips may be the greatest thing in the world, but until they find a use case and a way to sell it to you that's where we'll, where we'll see the implementation and we'll see the differentiation between the devices as much as anything else. So I, I, they're good at marketing. They can sell us everything. I mean, you and I have bought quite a few Apple products over the years and we're not the only ones. So I, that's the killer thing is they need the sales guys to get hold of it and go, right, this can do that. This can do the other thing. And, and that, that, at that point, we'll see how the differentiation goes. Yeah, how are they going to upsell me? That's the question, isn't it? They always find a way, Chris. Yeah, this is true. Okay, next one then. So we've got Meta here then. I don't know a huge amount about this, but I, I did hear a, a rumor around this one of Meta's announced that if you buy anything in the metaverse, you're going to pay nearly 50% uh, fees to Meta and then the, the developer will get, get the remaining amount. And yet they were against Apple charging 30%, if I remember correctly, in the App Store and they've just gone polar the opposite. So what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much what you said. I just thought it was ironic that Facebook, sorry, Meta kicked up such a fuss about Apple taking a 30% tax on people. And then in their store, they're immediately talking about taking almost 50%, 47.5%. So it's just extremely critical. And, you know, the not invented here thing is is fine until you've got to do it yourself. And I mean, we all agree, you and I agree, that 30% is too much. They shouldn't be taking anything like that Apple. But almost 50% is just absolutely, you know, it, it's it, taking the Michael, it is. Do you think they're going high so that they've got a position to reduce down to, to get down to 30%? There will certainly be a, a certain amount of overcharging in this. I, I don't. I doubt very much that it's to drop the price down. I think they just want to set their store as the people that have bought all the tools. Oculus can't have been a cheap thing for them. I'm sure it's a bit of a loss maker. Developers who specialize in this kind of thing, because it is very bespoke tools at this point, as far as, as far as I'm aware. It's not like you've got AR kit that Apple have got. 
you know, it's, it's very bespoke. You're, you're selling to fewer people the equipment. They're, they're trying to commoditize it and make it cheaper all the time. So I suspect because they feel they've put such a stake in to develop this market, that's the kind of money they want back. Yeah, okay. Well, okay, we'll have to see how it goes, but I'm very much with you of pay, pay the developers the money they deserve. The big corporations should provide the platform and take a cut. I'm not saying do it for free, but I think it needs to, we need to strike the right balance here. Yeah, and Meta's an advertising company in the same way that Google's an advertising company. So they're going to take this cut and then they're going to upsell you on the ads and things to, in there anyway. So it's it's just typical, slightly creepy, uh, I want to say Facebook, but Meta tactics as far as I can see. You know, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, it's win-win for them. Absolutely. Good, I think we've dealt with that one. I thought the Nick, our next story about Apple removing old apps from the App Store is quite an interesting one. So I don't know if you've seen this story at all. Yeah, I saw a bit of it. I'm assuming they're just removing moving apps that just haven't been updated and are just festering. Yeah, pretty much. The official statement says that developers are receiving an email to, to have apps that are affected, stating that Apple is removing apps that have not been updated in a significant period of time unless developers issue an update within 30 days. To wit, this app has not been updated for a significant amount of time and is scheduled to be removed from sale in 30 days. No action is required from the app to remain available to users who have already downloaded the app. You can keep this app available for new users to discover and download from the App Store, submitting an update for review within 30 days. If no update is submitted within 30 days, the app will be removed from sale. So, alright, on one level I can see the pressure to keep things you know, updated and fresh and all the rest of it. But if you think all the years has been an App Store, there's actually quite a lot of history in the App Store. For example, that iPint app that was developed, one of the very first things you can get in the App Store where it came along, where it gave you a virtual glass of beer, you could tip the phone and pretend you were drinking it and the level would go down. To me, there's a certain amount of curation you have to do to your apps to keep these things available to people because they do tell the tale of what happened at that time. To say nothing of all the classic games and things that are probably kicking around that people depend upon. So I don't really like this sort of push to remove them from the store. I do and I don't, if I'm honest. I can kind of see it. And, and reading reading the article, as you, well, listening as you read it now, it said that um, if people have already bought it, you can still re-download it. But they're just not going to allow new sales, which I can kind of see. And it's interesting. I've just clicked on Doom Resurrection, which you, you can no longer buy, but it's still there. And that was last updated 12 years ago. But it says I can't buy it anyway because it won't run on this version of iOS. So whether that's just, just my iPad. But So I can kind of see it. Clean out some of the craft, make it work better. Now's best time to do that. Encourage people to update them because it doesn't need to be recompiled. Because even if you did go and buy some of these things, are they going to work? Who's going to be booting up five-year-old devices to go and play some of these things? So I'm a bit mixed on it, but I do kind of agree with you. And there has been a lot of noise, I think it was this week, about or last week, about the PlayStation 3 and the PSP slash Vita and games going offline and it being unplayable. And, and I think the Wii U is doing something similar. So I'm, I'm a bit mixed on it. You can't run this stuff forever. And you know what some of these companies are going to do. They're going to sit around and go, as part of our sustainability, we're going to reduce the number of apps we've got on sale and, and legacy because people aren't using it. And I guess they've got the numbers, though. How many people are actually downloading these things and using them? Maybe, maybe it's a non-event. 
Yeah, I agree with you on one level, but at the same time, if you think of books, every book ever published is maintained within the Library of Congress and within the British Library and things like that. So you've always got an archive of what's going on, even electronic ones. And if you go back to software when I were a little boy, things from the Commodore 64 and things like that, early arcade games and the rest, that's all preserved as either abandonware or on the internet archive, as playable things, as a representation of culture at that time. And I think it's quite dangerous to actually stop people being able to download these things in an archival way. And at this point, you can, I can still download it. But we know with Apple Sandbox that you're not really meant to download it to make it freely available in 30 years' time. And the short-sightedness of that bothers me slightly. Yeah, I can see it. And it's part of the digital world we're in, isn't it? It's, It's not there forever. And this is going to keep happening. You know, say like the latest PlayStation 5 game we're playing now, it's like Gran Turismo. Is that still going to be available to download in 10 years from now? I don't know. Probably. I mean, Sony are quite good at keeping it going, but is it going to be in 20 years or 30 years? And maybe nobody cares, but I still think significant things like that affect the culture of what's on around them. And I, I just, I'd like an, an ability to keep these things going in perpetuity to a certain extent, to let future generations or developers or programmers or system designers or whatever it is know what was going on at that point. I think it's very important. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't disagree. But well, maybe they need they need some archival way so they can get their wish of taking it out of the app store so it's not cluttering it up. And they could probably drop like a million games overnight. But but you know what I mean from the regular app store that normal people use. But do they just need a, a historical app store of? Look, if you are running Legacy OS, or you, we are going to do our bit for the community and, and keep a copy of it. Yeah, I think they should. Uh, and I know developers of copyright over whatever it is they've developed. I'm sure the developers of mobile Call of Duty or whatever aren't very keen that Apple have functioning code, but they care about that now. You know, even they may want something they can look at, look back on in ten and fifteen or thirty years and see what was going on as part of their IP. So it's just I understand the reasons why. I'm just not particularly keen on it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it just feels like they need to find a happy medium, don't they? Like I say, and maybe having like a legacy mode or or a flag you can go and setting preferences show me all the legacy stuff kind of thing um, all the unloved apps that are on the app store and but that way they could remove them for the for their core market which is good, still going to achieve what they want yeah and let's not forget i'm sure a huge amount of this is actually garbage abandoned wear stuff that you know like the i am rich app which came out at whatever it was two and a half thousand dollars when the app store launched so i'm sure there is a lot of it that can go but anyway it's food for thought and our last sort of news story is just breaking again. We had a breaking news story last week. We got a breaking news story this week. Elon Musk is going to buy Twitter for $44 billion. How's Twitter worth that much? I, well, I think I'm probably more of a user of Twitter than you are. I, I quite like Twitter for lots of reasons. I think as a quick breaking news service, it's quite good for getting people's takes on things that are good. I also get the poisonous side of it. You think there's a whole presidency in America that was defined by his use of Twitter right up until the point he was banned. So as a means of people getting in touch with each other and communicating late-breaking news stories and capturing moments in time, I think it's quite an important thing. You also need a competitor to things like Facebook. Hey, look, um, I do use Twitter a lot every day. It is my news feed. I just don't post. I've got nothing to say to people this is my social networking that i'm doing with you today but i don't post but i do use twitter all the time i just i I just think they need to work out how they make some money without going to the creepy side that facebook's ended up at and i don't know what the answer is so i'm just amazed 
that Twitch has never really posted any profit and they've had lots of funding. How is it worth $44 billion for Elon to buy it? I just, it's a big number. It, it is a big number. I don't think it's, a, it, it's not a ridiculous number when you look at what, you know, Microsoft snapped up Activision for and, and all that kind of stuff. Lots of users make use of Twitter. Even people who don't post like yourself, they know what Twitter is. They know what to go there for their news. And as a means of informing a dedicated group of followers or something you're interested in, I think that's really quite a powerful tool to have in somebody's hands. So I understand the value of it. I'm not sure about Elon Musk being the person to have control of that tool, for want of a better thing. I don't disagree. I'm I'm not his biggest fan, but I'm probably not his biggest hater either. So, But is he going to do for a social media platform what he's done for the electric car market? Because I think in fairness, not just to him, but to Tesla on the whole, you know, all the engineers and how they've positioned it and how they've really, you know, done that challenger space of, you know, getting electric cars now mainstream. I don't think we would have advanced as quickly as we had without Tesla. Are they going to do something similar with Twitter? Can they do something to advance it? And to are they going to be caring about it showing a profit? Are they going to just turn it into a Facebook? Or are they actually going to keep it, like you say, as an alternative, a viable alternative to Facebook? That is still got its moral compass in the right place. Well, my, I think I think that's the big concern. Yeah, I question Elon Musk's reason for buying Twitter. When you look at sort of his tweets leading up to this and everything leading up to this, he, he paints it as a free speech issue. He paints it as, you know, I want to be able to say whatever I want to say, and not, and, and everybody else should be able to also. But I think when you've got a platform that size, a certain amount of moderation is only right and proper, as we saw with Donald Trump, actually, and his use of Twitter leading up to you know the riots in the US Capitol. So I, 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 the, the motivation of people that has a media tool that large, and you know, without going into the Rupert Murdoch's of the world or any other large sort of media empires and things, you have to keep an eye on that. Just because you've got a lot of money shouldn't guarantee your ability to hold an amount of power using a tool like that. So I think there should be careful oversight. Now, I am not an Elon Musk fanboy. I'm not as great as Detractor either. Uh, yes, I happen to drive one of his cars, but I certainly don't think everything he's ever done is right. I don't like the way he treats people particularly. He sort of piles on them like some sort of college freshman in an American film if you see something's you know, it's having a go at him. It's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit childish, that interplay. And, and that sort of person, you know, if people who do listen to the podcast, I, I believe Tesla fans are, and Musk fans are quite rabid. You know, maybe we'll get some feedback about this, but I, you know, I see the value of the cars, absolutely. I see what they're doing with SpaceX. I think it's incredible. But I also think he's taken a step back from sort of the more hands-on decisions in those kinds of industries, SpaceX particularly, and they've flourished as a consequence of doing so. It, Tesla, he seems almost harmful in some ways with the thing, some of the things it puts out about self-driving and the rest of it. So I, I, I just worry about that power, you know, being created in, in one person's hands. Yeah, I don't disagree. And maybe he'd get involved to begin with and make some change and then he, maybe then he will step back. But I mean, he is only one guy. He can't, he can't be the CEO of everything. Maybe this is his way of also not getting banned. I do agree on the free speech piece. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how it goes. It'd be interesting, but yeah, I'm, I'm a little nervous. I do like Twitter. How I've got it set up for myself, it works perfectly for me. Yeah, and, and lots of people do. And it's one of the first things I scroll in the morning when I wake up as well, just to see what's been going on. So I guess watch the space as you say. Good. I think that'll do us for the news. We can move on to the media section. And I can see you've posted the first story in here about a Magic Johnson documentary. Yeah, so I put just a couple of bits in here. And look, we're in the UK, so 
not big basketball coverage in the UK at all. I'm not a big fan of basketball, but I was just quite interested in this. There's a documentary about Magic Johnson, who obviously I've heard of, but I don't know a huge amount about him. And it just looked really good. And it, I think it's just come out. So they posted it. And I think they posted all of it on Friday instead of doing the first few. I, it's not very long docu-series, but just thought it looks great. I watched that. And then whilst I was looking through the TV Plus app, so I haven't watched any of it yet, but I just thought it's in my wheelhouse. It's, I quite enjoy documentaries about real life people or companies and just seeing what was, you know, how, how did they build themselves up to be a name, you know, a household name and, and what their lives like. So looking forward to that. But then at the same time, they've got another basketball documentary called The Long Game, Bigger Than Basketball. And this is about somebody, I think, who was on like a development program and then ended up going to university instead of playing basketball for his life. But again, I am watched it, but I just thought it was odd that they've released two basketball things at the same time because you can end up with competing messages of, of how you position them within the app. And you often see it like with films, some companies go and do two films at the same time on the same subject. Now, I just thought that was interesting. But again, it's some more Apple TV content. It seems to, they seem to be hitting their stride. Now we've got through the pandemic and they've got through the initial setup stages of dropping just content week after week. It's And it's um, it's a pain because I want to go back and watch a few things that I haven't caught up on. And I, there's so much new stuff coming out that I also want to watch. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that. At the same time, I also finished WeWork. Loved it. They ended it really well. And what I really liked about the ending is they finished the story, obviously, with the fictional characters, not fictional characters, but the actors play, playing the real-life characters. And then in the end credits, they then showed a few clips of the real people, you know, the, re- the real Adam Newman and his wife, Rebecca. And I thought that was a really good way of ending it. Look, you've watched this whole show for six to eight episodes. You've seen these characters who, we, who we've made up to look like them. Here's the real ones. Here's just a few clips. And I just thought it was a really tidy way of ending it. So um, really well done. Love, love that show and would recommend it if anybody's interested in WeWork. And then, sorry, I, I, I carry on talking for one more, but I also put in Big Con, Big Con, sorry. Again, another real life sort of documentary show about a guy who's obviously a con man in, out of America. Again, probably one that hasn't permeated over here so much in the news as what it would have done in the States. It's just really interesting just just to see what the, what this guy has done. I'm just just slightly curious. About it. But yeah, they're, they're releasing a lot of content. I think really encouraging to see. What do you think? Any of those appeal to you? No. <laughs> <laughs> but what I will say, I, I have absolutely no interest in basketball, other than, uh, as with you, I can appreciate good athletes, you know, and the, the story of good athletes is often makes very compelling viewing, actually. And a, a sort of sports documentary on anybody, Muhammad Ali, anybody that's sort of come through a hard way to them, is really good viewing, even if you're not that interested in the sport. So I said no just to get the laugh as much as anything else. I, I would likely take in uh, something about Magic Johnson because I've heard the name. I, I'm sure he must have been through a lot of adversity in his life from the little bits I've sort of picked up from him over the years. So I'm sure it's a really good uh, documentary. And made with those Apple values, I'm sure it'll be uh, worth a watch as well. Agreed. The, the the second one, like you say, there is something interesting about the way these things sort of happen and drop. But I, I, as you were talking, I was worried, wondering about the scheduling of these things. And you think the pandemic probably did affect them. And a lot of these things would have been in production pre-pandemic. Because it takes time to film a documentary. You know, you've got to build up, you've got to interview the people, you've got to do all this kind of stuff. So either it's been done very, very quickly towards the end of it, which seems unlikely, or it was sort of planned pre-pandemic and has only now, you know, been scheduled to drop. And if that's the case, then it's a deliberate scheduling plan on the part of Apple to put these things together, which could be interesting. Maybe they get the basketball fans at the same time they're getting the baseball fans with a live sport coming on, and they're trying to build a bit of kudos up towards that as well. So it's it's quite an interesting thought. I'm curious where they're going to keep this pace 
going like you say have they got a bit in the hopper and they're trying to get some of it out there or is this what the new pace is going to look like well it's interesting because there's been an increasing amount of press on netflix beginning to sort of stumble we've seen in the last week that netflix has lost subscribers for the first time there's rumors of them doing ad supported tiers to drop the prices it looks like in the clampdown on people that sign into their Netflix accounts at their brothers, their parents, their girlfriends or whatever, and they're going to stop that happening as well and try and force those people to have their own Netflix accounts. So uh, coinciding with the rise in things like Apple TV and HBO Max, that you know the more quality side of it that are being lauded at this point for the development of their stories and their filming and, and everything is, is on the increase while Netflix is on the decrease. People aren't finding things on Netflix they want to watch quite as much in the way that they were. So the timing is interesting, like you say, that we're seeing them beginning to go into overdrive. And let's fit, you got all credit to Apple. They have put their money where their mouth is on this. You know, from going with something that was, I think, carpool karaoke, or, or uh, it's what they started oh, with. Planet of the Apps. Planet of the Apps. You know, they've gone from those two things to, you know, we've got a whole section now where we pretty much just talk about Apple TV, you know, productions. That's quite impressive in the space of what, three years, four years? So, uh, Agreed. I think I think they've done a cracking job. From when they first announced it, it was a very odd sort of announcement where they didn't have anything to show. And then they had a few TV series come out. We then hit a pandemic. Um, and then they've come out of it and they've got a cracking catalogue and it's just building and building and it's all original content they haven't gone and bought filler so uh, i think it's really good yeah and the big con thing i like stuff like that you know how people got away with it and not having just had a quick look at how it looks like it's going to it is interesting it's got a sort of you know the, the big short about it it's got a bit of money ball about it you know how, how those things happen and i can't remember if i said this last week but i am going to give a shout out for a netflix thing having d- dissed them a little bit that if anybody's at all interested in how the, these amazing scams and scandals can come about, it's definitely worth having a look at on Netflix. How, how to fix a drug scandal. Which did I, did I talk about that last week? I can't remember. My... You did talk about, is it dope sick? Dope sick. Okay. So this is very different to that. This is the state of Massachusetts at the same time had two chemists whose job it was, was to analyze incoming samples. So if somebody gets convicted of a drug bust, they go to the lab to be analyzed, whether it's cocaine, whether it's methamphetamine, whatever it is. It's graded by the chemist that it is based on a variety of spectroscopic samples, on on pure samples that they've got within the lab. And they go, yep, that's drugs. That goes back to court. Often they go to court to, to, to give for the prosecution the case that it was drugs and, and their thing. And within the space of about two years of each other, these two chemists were gaming the system. And without giving too much away for those that are going to watch it, it's only, it's only four episodes. Over the space of 10 years, one of them was involved with 30,000 miscarriages of justice in, in eastern Massachusetts, uh, western Massachusetts. It's just the most incredible story, you know, of, of what these people went through in, in the positions of power that they were in that time. It's just a fascinating thing and how the whole judicial system sort of stacked up behind it in that state. So if anybody's at all interested in a real true life example of how these things can happen, it's a very well done thing. I seem to get a lot of homework around watching TV. <laughs> it's something everybody can be part of, so I think that's fine. No, but a big con, and I think quite a nice one for us to finish on then in the media section is Apple has garnered another couple of BAFTAs here in the UK, their first TV BAFTAs for two documentaries. There's a lot of documentaries coming up tonight. They've won one for uh, 9-11, Inside the President's War Room, and for 1971, the year that music changed everything. So well done, Apple. And I haven't watched either of these, have you? No, I haven't. And 
I would probably quite interested in the in I'm probably quite interested in both. I had heard about the 1971 one, but the inside the president's war room doesn't ring any bells with me, and yet they've managed to to go and win a, a BAFTA for it. So maybe they're worth checking out too. If, like I said, it does feel like the homework is growing a little bit more. It is a bit, and it's all documentaries this week, Goas. So I think that's very good. I'm, I'm all right with that. I quite like a documentary. Excellent. I think we've established we do. Okay, I think um, we can swiftly move on to gaming, which may be a, a short section this week, Chris. Yeah, I think it's going to be quite short. I just put in this in the show notes, Lego Star Wars. I haven't bought it, but it just came across my periphery and I thought, yeah, it looks quite good on, on the Switch. It's something I share with my kids. And I thought, I just wondered whether you'd played it and what your thoughts were. Is it of interest? I haven't played it. I, I I face this thing now where which platform do I buy it for if I'm going to play something like this. My kids went through a Lego phase about 10 years ago, I think, where I have got a, a lot of Lego games. I've got the Harry Potters. I've got the Marvel, the original Avengers uh, Marvel Lego when it came out. And they're quite good fun, but I don't find them the most compelling games to play. It's always the same thing. Break a thing, collect some bricks, find another area, solve a puzzle, move on. And I, I like it. I think they're very pretty, but it's not something I'm going to rush out and buy. And I think at 50 quid, I'm probably not rushing to get it either, if I'm honest. I will wait and maybe just pick it up when it's a little bit cheaper. I've got quite a few games to play on my Switch. Yeah, and that's fine. And you've got all those downloadable tracks coming from Mario Kart as well. So, you know, there's probably better things to be getting on with than rushing it. If you're a big Star Wars fan, I get it. On the Mario Kart, as you mentioned it, I don't know what the timetable is for that. It doesn't seem that obvious when I'm getting more tracks. That's my only bit of feedback. They've done an Apple. You're going to get some tracks. At some point, his two. That's a bit disappointing, really. You think you want all of those tracks. If you've paid for the DLC, they should be saying once a month, every fortnight, whatever the schedule is, they want to give you a bit of an idea of what's coming. Completely agree. I'm happy that they come as a drip feed because I think that would keep it exciting. But just tell me when I'm getting them. I, I, in the app would help yeah i would have thought so nintendo aren't great at their apps though particularly are they no there is a certain uniqueness to how they do things <laughs> i suppose it's good it's, it's good to be quirky i'm actually going to make a little gaming recommendation that my linux adventure last week uh, set me off on again i bought a game on steam for windows a, few, a while back called uh, carrier deck and it's kind of a spinning plates thing. You need to fuel your hornets up, send them out air search rescues. Incoming planes have to be stopped from attacking the carrier. At the same time, you want to make sure there's no frigates or submarines coming in. So you've got to launch helicopters. So you've got to manage the deck of your carrier. And I'd forgotten that I'd actually bought it on iOS as well and for the iPad. So I don't actually know how much it is at the moment. But if you quite fancy just a quick keep the plate spinning for all these things going on, searching for submarines, sending out another helicopter, sink them, get them refueled, managing landing aircraft and taking off again. It's a lot of fun, and it's kept me entertained, you know, for 15 minutes here and there over the course of the last week. Carrier Deck. Check it out. Okay, that sounds quite a good game. I haven't got a platform to play this on, but it... Have you not got an iPad? Oh, is it on iPad it's as well? A, it's on iPad as well. That's why I'm mentioning it. Sorry. I just assumed you meant it was on um, on a PC when you said you had it on Steam. Well, it was on Steam, and I tried it on Linux, and that's what I thought has triggered my memory that I did actually buy it for the iPad. I was enjoying it so much. So it's that little sort of side adventure of going off and, and fiddling with um, the Linux app store on Steam has has led back to iOS and iPadOS, and I've been playing it on my iPad as well. So uh, we'll put it, in the, put it in the show notes and check it out. I do wish the app store... And I've got this complaint with the TV app on the iPad. Why can't I just bookmark links to come back and check another day and see if maybe they're on sale? You can do it in the iTunes app for TV shows and and, um, films and things and music, but you can't do it in the TV app 
or in the apps or maybe nobody uses it but i kind of want to bookmark stuff i'll you know when i'm ready to try something new i'll, I'll go and buy it then kind of thing and there's no, no real way of doing that yeah i agree there's there's a couple of flaws and i know you haven't played with android as much as i have but one of the best things about Android is you can go to the web. You, if you buy a thing on the web, you can go in Google Chrome, you can visit the App Store, and you can click install there and there on the web browser, and it'll deploy to whatever devices you want it to. And why doesn't why can't you do similar things on Apple platforms? Yeah, that is quite cool. Yeah, it's very good. Good. Okay, I think that'll do us for gaming, and uh, we can move on to the main show. Yeah, so where, where do you want to start on this one? I think you, you've been to an Apple store, uh, by the way. I have been to an Apple store. I went to Cardiff middle of last week, and while I was there, I thought I'll take this opportunity to go and gaze at a studio display because uh, you've been waxing lyrical over yours. So it's a very nice screen, isn't it? It's a nice thing to look at. It very, very much reminds me of my 5K iMac uh, in the office, which who knows I might get to actually see in person again in the next couple of weeks. But just looked, it, it looks very nice in the in the, the the frame that it's in. I like how thin the bezels are. Yeah, very high quality display. I always think when they've got it next to the 24 inch iMac, it looks like, oh, right, that's last year's model because it looks massive next to an iMac that's got a whole computer inside it. And I know the iMac's only 4.5K and the studio display is a 5K screen. It's not that much different, but yet, how is it so much chunkier? I guess there's a whole computer. Well, there's a whole computer in the iMac as well. I guess, but uh, it's, it's, no, I've got no answer for that. What they had, what they had <laughs> done. There's no rhyme or reason, is no, there? No, there is massive in the, comparison. No, it's just industrial styling. So when you put a Mac Studio underneath it, I think it doesn't look quite so odd. Yeah, maybe. But uh, what did you think of it? Though? I think it is a nice panel. It's a nice panel. Yeah, I, I, I was impressed with it as I was with my 5K Mac, is, is what I can say. And what I liked about it was they had two of them set up. They had one attached to a Mac Studio, which I stuck my head as close to it to see if I could hear a fan on it. I couldn't really in an Apple Store. It's not really the best environment to be testing how low a computer is in an Apple Store. And the second one was connected to a 14-inch um, MacBook Pro. So that, oh, okay. so that was quite nice, actually, that they sort of give you the two modes that it's likely to be working in permanent desktop display or as a dock for, for that. Yeah, very nice, very fast. Very impressed with uh, both the Mac Studio and the 14-inch uh, MacBook Pro. It's the first one of them I'd seen as well. Yeah, they look right, don't they? It's, it's hard with the Mac Studio. Like, what, what are you going to try out on it when you're in a shop? Because you just can see, oh, yeah, it looks right. I've looked in the preferences, see what sort of model it is. But you're not going to do much with it, are you? No, I mean, you're not going to stand there and record some stuff and fire up Final Cut and try and put a bunch of, you know, filters and things across it or do, or do a complex edit. They're not going to let me install Python on it and do some sort of multiprocessor sort of tests on, on, on data. So, yeah, it's it's artificial. It's a nice Mac. But then they all look nice Macs in the Apple Store. Yeah, it looks right. I think I think it looks fine. What I did like playing with when I went in is they did have a, sh not a studio display, a Pro Display XDR. That thing is still pretty cool. It's a lot of money. It's a um, lot. 32 inch. It is nice 6K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still only 60 hertz though. And I know there's a lot of screen technology in there. And I bang on about the, the refresh rate of displays. But I think this is the thing that's going to be on your desk for at least at least five years. I would suggest at the sort of money you're talking, get these things sorted out, get higher refresh rates. And I know there's bandwidth problems for, for the display technologies that we're connecting with, particularly what, the, what that display is connecting with. But it just... For that and this Apple Studio display, I feel like they're missing a beat there. They should move things along. I kind of wish they made it more of a dock, though. It's interesting you saying they've got it um, set up like for a 14-inch Mac Pro. Why has it not got like an Ethernet jack on the back of it or an SD card in it and stuff and make it a proper dock? Because I think there would be enough bandwidth to it because you can plug 
those device those peripherals into the USB-C on the back of it. So I do think they could have just done a couple of bits, just make it a bit more of a proper dock. Yeah, particularly the studio display, which has has come a bit later, a couple of years later than than the XDR. Thunderbolt is another generation on from the Mac Pro that it would have been connecting to. There's a lot more bandwidth up and down. If they can drive, is it five displays? I think the studio display uses the same Thunderbolt as right. the Pro display. So they're both on Thunderbolt 3. For whatever reason, the studio display is in Thunderbolt 4, which given that all their devices are, I was a bit surprised because they could have just gone, this just works with M1 iMacs and above. Um, not iMacs, M1 Macs and above. Um, but they didn't. And I'm surprised they've actually made it work for backwards compatibility. I would happily go and buy another studio display. I think it's awesome to have in my other office. I'm just going to wait for the price to come down a little bit on it. Yeah, and you got to be able to get them delivered. I think they're backed up to like July now if you wanted to order one. So, Yeah, I'm not rushing. Yeah, they've obviously sold all right. So, yeah, I think that's fine. Uh, Pent-up demand. Should we move on? I think we'll move on. So last week we had a, a listener question and Ed asked us to review some podcast clients. and We gave a bit of homework and both of us went off and tried some alternative podcast clients. So what do you use now? So I've, I've been on Overcast. I don't know, since the day it came out. So since I really got into podcasts, I've pretty much been on Overcast the whole time. And I do subscribe to it, which is annually about nine pounds, nine British pounds a year. So it's not a lot of money. I don't really need to subscribe to it, but I do just because I use it all the time and I'm happy just to give a little bit of money towards something. And I think that's quite a good price point, nine quid. And I do wonder about the psychology of all of this, how you price your app, like, if you, do you do it high and get less people or do you do it low and try try and get critical mass kind of thing? So I do subscribe. I think it's a good app and I'm so used to how it works, which is possibly why I've struggled a bit with the homework to think differently. How about you? Yeah, so I also use Overcast, but I'm quite glad we get asked this question because it's made me challenge a little bit why I do. And I think a lot of the reason why I do is, A, it was pretty enough for me at the time and worked the way I wanted to do it. And I had a really bad experience with Apple's own podcast app. So... The default for most people is to use what comes with the device. So an Apple podcast was built into my phone, so I used Apple Podcasts. During a beta cycle, following a WWDC, which I'm increasingly nervous is getting closer and closer, I installed Apple Podcasts and it started using my mobile data when mobile data was quite expensive. And actually cost me about 30 quid, I think, downloading podcasts, you know, going back whatever it was, 10 or 15 years ago or something like that. So I was very sour on Apple Podcasts. And when Marco Arment, who writes Overcast, released it, I thought that's just the thing for me, and I've just used it pretty much without thinking ever since. Yeah, agreed. It works really well. It downloads when you're on Wi-Fi. You can obviously sell it to do various things, such as stream or cash when you're out on cellular. Um, I think it's a really good app. It's easy to use. It's updated regularly. It's quite small. And it's just done a, re a visual refresh because it was getting a little dated. And so they've refreshed the main home screen on it. And from what he said, the, the other screens will get done over time. But what I do like with it is for a one-man band, it does change quite a lot. There's, you know, a, a lot done to maintain it and, and keep it looking modern. Whereas you go to other apps, either they've got an army of staff or you go to the Apple one and it moves at a glacial pace. So I do do like the little and often updates. Yeah. So I think, you know, just to get a bit more analytical about it for a minute, that Apple Podcast does the basics. You can find podcasts from the Apple Podcast directory. It will queue them up and download them, and then you can play them in an order that you like. And that works fine for most people. Like I say, it's, it's what comes with the, with the product. So I think the vast majority of people who are interested enough to seek out podcasts probably just use what came with the device. Overcast added a couple of things to that. So it would let you do smart queues. So if you listen to three or four podcasts and you always wanted the most refreshed one up at the top, 
it would, it would pop that to the top of your list and you could continue listening. I don't even know if you use the smart cues or you just select the podcast you want to listen to and hit play. I don't do any playlists or cues per se. I just want to see what podcasts have I got and I'll go, go and pick that way. I don't normally have so many that I really need a playlist. I normally maybe have, at most I'd have 10 unplayed episodes. And so I just go, go and pick what I fancy listen to when I go off my walk, for example. Yeah, fair enough. I, I do use a smart place, a playlist a little bit, particularly more when I was traveling up and down the country in the car more and I was listening to stuff. I wanted it just to move on to the next thing, uh, particularly if you don't have uh, CarPlay in your car. I was just about to say CarPlay solves all of that and CarPlay is awesome. And I did actually contact Marco. I sent him an email about the CarPlay app because I was like, I don't have any playlists. Can you make it so if I don't have any playlists, when you load the CarPlay app, that it doesn't show the icon and takes me straight to the podcast screen? And he did it. He took the feedback. I'm sure I wasn't the only one that asked that feature, but it was just nice that he did take the feature and, and adapt it. And he's done quite a lot of work actually on, on the um, CarPlay app by using the, the latest CarPlay um, SDK. And I found the actual overcast piece to be better CarPlay implementation than Apple's podcast, which is disappointing that they're just not really doing much of the functionality. So I think for me, using the Apple podcast app is good if you've come from the music app because it's built in exactly the same way. You've got the listen, you've got the browse, you've got the library, you've got the search. For me, I just found it odd going in the library and like mixed in, you've got the current episodes that you've got and all the legacy ones. Annoyingly with Apple podcasts, no way to import from overcast you can import your your feed you just had to manually move them so if the purpose of test night did that it was okay it had a carplay app it was okay and like i say if you're new to podcasts and you've come for and you're used to using the music app it'll probably work quite well for you just to get you going and and it's free which is good my wife and i were talking about getting my children into a couple of podcasts because there might be a few things out there for them to listen to so we're, we're going to try it with them excellent oh, i think that's that, that's a, a good test to see how um featured they are for what what different users want so that's that's not necessarily a bad thing so i think what did, we're did you try podcasts apple podcast i didn't i left that one to you but i tried a different one no. that you didn't okay so both of us use overcast and we're both fairly strong proponents of, of overcast i tend to recommend this with other people there's a lot of features i like like the little notification that it's downloaded a new episode or something i wake up in the morning and it's told me it's downloaded three podcasts and it downloads them so it's worked well for me and i like the i forget the exact phrase marco uses for it Smart speed? There's two. There's smart speed and voice boost. And I noticeably miss both of them with Apple Podcasts because you can set the speed, but it's very linear in that I want to play at one speed or 1.2 or one, you know, 1.5, but you can just let it go. Just do, do what you think's best. And I do think that works really well in Overcast. And voice boost is quite good because it does try and it just makes people sound better, make, make just audio spoken audio sound better and it was yeah noticeably missing from apple podcasts so the other thing about the smart speed is it will do things like trim silences and long pauses between words and things like that as well rather than just say play this at one and a half times or 1.75 times it's it's actually trimming silences between sentences and things too yeah it's a lot more um what i'd call intelligent i guess um because you do and it's the same when i listen to an audiobook I kind of wish that Marco would license voice boost and smart speed to, to what's it called? Audible. I'm sorry. I was just looking while we were talking. Smart speed has actually saved me 377 hours. There you go. So I've obviously, I must have listened to a lot of podcasts over the last 10 years or so. So uh, <laughs> no, uh, big fan of it. But uh, yeah, Apple Podcasts, I think it's fine. It's free. It doesn't iterate as quickly as others, but it works like the music app. So probably an easy transition for people. 
Yeah, I think that's probably fair. But where I'm going with this is we've both tried Apple Podcasts either recently or less recently me, and it, it wasn't for us. It wasn't powerful enough or it was missing a feature that we didn't like. So Overcast scratched that itch for want of a better term. And it's we've stuck with it over all these years. So what I'm more interested in now are the other things that we went to look at. And I know we both happened to go and look at the same app and we both looked at different ones. So while you were looking at Apple Podcasts, I went off to look at a thing called Breaker which is sort of meant to be the new hotness in, in terms of podcast apps. And what it really sort of pushes is a social aspect to podcasting. So if you've got some friends and things like that, you can share podcasts with them. What are you listening to right now? All that kind of functionality built in, which will suit some people. And I can see it appealing maybe to my kids, what their friends listening to. But I don't think you consume podcasts like Not me at all. I'm not I'm the least social person I know. So that's probably all lost on me. I don't mind telling people what I listen to. Very happy to share it. I was even at work the other day in a meeting with some senior people and I recommended they go and listen to Neilai Patel's podcast, Decoder, where they interview different CEOs and stuff because it's really interesting. So, but I don't want to do any social sharing and stuff. It's not, not for me. How did you find it? Was Did it do everything else or was it just all built around social and actually didn't have the, the basics? Well, I, ma- I made some notes because it annoyed me so much that it was actually worth me making some notes about. So I, I paused it. I went for a walk on the beach and I was crossing the road because uh, you couldn't hear anything over the main road in Swansea was walking onto the beach. Just pausing it to wait for the the, the crossing lights to change walked across it crashed in the background and then lost my place in the podcast so it's immediately the bottom of things I'm I'm unhappy about that's fairly fundamental to me for a podcast app yeah you should be able to pause and not bomb out and not forget where you are which to be fair to overcast it, it if it does ever bomb out it must do it very gracefully because I don't notice yeah exactly uh, the UI was very hard to work out I eventually figured out how to search for apps uh, for podcasts and then download them didn't have hours on there no wake from sleep in the directory which annoyed me and more right. more than that it doesn't seem to want you to download them there seems to be no functionality to say downloads it wanted to stream everything right okay so I'm I'm all right with that now, but there was a time when I very much wouldn't have been all right with that. But I've now lived in a world where I've not quite got unlimited data, but it feels like it. Yeah, but you're going to jump on a plane at some point. You're going to want some stuff backed up. And there probably would be a way to do it down in the depths of the menu, but it was far too hard to work out. And I don't think of myself as a completely ignorant computer user. You're right. Or I'm going to go for a walk or go through a black hole and in my car and I, and I can't stream. So you are right. I do... I do like use my podcast, my Audible book, so I download them usually at home on the Wi-Fi. It just happens automatically. And then I know I've got something to point them out and about if I haven't got any signal or I'm on the tube or something. Yeah, and the last and most egregious thing it did is the first time I launched it, it immediately tried to make, to get me to buy the premium version of it without trying to use it. And again, you, you, that's three strikes and you're out as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you, you, you want to dip your toe in the water first, don't you? Yep, yep. You need to see what it's like. Not buy this now just because I happen to have opened it up. So, no, uh, very much thumbs down on Breaker. The other one I tried, and I know you mentioned it as well, was Castro. And I like Castro. (laughs) I must say, uh, I I didn't mind the UI. I know you had issues with it because it's not used to the way that you're used to working with things. I quite like the fact one of the first things it prompted me to do was import podcasts from another client which Breaker certainly didn't. And I did have a, I'll talk about it in a minute. I did have a look at PocketCast as well, which is a cross-platform podcasting client. That didn't either. So that was points in its favor. And Castro also has a smart speed analog where you could reduce silences in between words and things like that. So it was doing something a little bit more for me than, than well, not that I really care about it in Overcast. I've got all my podcasts there, but certainly the other podcast clients I was considering is for, for doing our homework here. Um, I got to say, I quite liked it. I, 
I like the queuing ability, which I think I use, and, and you don't, from what you've said before, where when you add a podcast, you can, it immediately presents you with a little icon to say, do you want to add this to the top of your list or the bottom of your list? And do you want to add this, this podcast to always come to the top of the list and sort of overrate everything you're listening to? So let's say our podcast was your favourite thing in the world, but you also listen to Upgrade. Every time a new episode of our thing dropped, you can put top of the list, podcast top of the list, and it'll jump to what you're listening to there rather than what's going on. So I quite like that. And it allows me to download them. And the Apple Watch app works really well straight out of the butt gate as well. Okay, interesting to get your feedback of the same app because I, th- I think we might use it a bit differently. So I launched it like you. It said, do you want to import from Overcast? I thought, oh, that's actually really nice because Apple Podcasts very much didn't do that. And I had forgotten that there is this format that podcast apps can use to, to share, in essence, that their, their list of shows that you subscribe to. The thing I didn't like with it is I imported all my shows. It, it then marked in every show I'd import or in every podcast, a show as unplayed. So even ones that I have listened to five years ago, that's still in my, in my list in overcast and they aren't recent. And I had listened to them. I marked them as unlistened to, which I was, at, I don't know, but I don't know if that's an issue on overcast exporting or on Castro importing. I, 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 that could be a bug either way. So, but I thought it was great. They, they did the import. So I imported all these shows. I had a look at it for me though. It didn't start downloading them while I was on Wi-Fi, which I found odd. Um, even though the setting was set to that, they, none of them were downloaded, which I was a little frustrated with. And then I just, for me, I found the interface a bit weird. I was like, oh, look, I've got a thing here called Inbox. I'll tap on that. And then there's a, there was a load of stuff in there. And I was like, oh, okay, it's my shows. But then there's a library one as well. And I was like, well, they kind of do the same thing for me. Like, where, where do you want me to go? And then I just find it weird when you're in the plane screen that, like, all the navs pushed up out of the way there's like how do i get back and it, it was like, oh right i've got to pull down and it takes me back back like time screen so i just wasn't crazy on the nav but i would agree with you on the functionality of it compared to overcast it's probably on a par and then it's probably then just down to personal preference so yeah i think that's entirely fair if you started with castro you'd probably be entirely happy with it and be feeling about Overcast like we feel about Castro. I will say I completely agree. the widget is a little bit better than what Overcast gives you as well. So I don't know if you use widgets on your phone. You can probably see it on the top right there, the Castro one it's got. says. Oh, no. that's yeah. cool. Yeah, so it, it gives you a count of how many unplayed podcasts you've got. If you've got multiple in the queue, the icons actually change to show sort of linking effects between them all for what's coming next. So they've put a little bit of thought into that side of the UI, which to be fair, as you've said, Marco's a one-man band. He can't do all of these things himself. So I, I, I can see appeal in Castro, uh, and I don't think you'd go wrong for choosing it. So for me, and I'll very quickly do my review of, of Pocket Cast, I think if you're a cross-platform user and you've got the odd Android device in the house, it'll do the job as well between Android and iPhone, but it's not a first-party client as far as I'm concerned in the same way that Castro and certainly Overcast are. Oh, you're right. It hasn't quite got that... F- uh, fit and finish, I guess, is the word I normally use. Yeah. Um, sorry, just one more point on Castro. No CarPlay app, but which for me would be a deal breaker. Yeah, I didn't try that. I didn't need to. What All I needed to know was I, I put the Tesla on Bluetooth, it found it, and it picked up where I left off and, and sat in the background without crashing. So that's good enough for me. I've got CarPlay apps for all my audio apps. It's, I, I'm so used to it now and I love it. So uh, I'm not going back. I, I'm not suggesting what, but what we're trying to do is give Ed a feel for what the best podcasting clients were on the yep. platform. I think we've, you know, of course we're embedded in what we're used to and it is hard to get your brain out of when you, this is a quick thing I do to listen to something I want to listen to right now. And of course, Overcast is always going to be the easiest way to do that. It's got features we like and I like the voice post. I like all those things within it as well. But for me, 
I, I will probably still keep using Overcast, but I'm going to stick with Castro for a little bit just to see how I get on. It was that good. It's it's almost at an Overcast level for me. So, Ed, if you're still listening and you haven't got fed up to us, check out Overcast, check out Castro. Links will be in the show notes. And anybody else that wants a little more detail on these or you want us to, you know, look into these or anything at other apps in a bit more detail, we're happy to do that too. Yeah, definitely. And I, th- I, th- I think the way you pitched is good because like, if you were coming from Apple Podcasts, which way should you go? If you go, actually, I'm bored of this app. It's not working for me. Happy to spend a little bit of money supporting an independent company or developer. Where should I go? And I think you're right. You should try either Castro or Overcast because one of them will probably click. And I think you're, you're right. If we had used Castro for the last 10 years and tried Overcast in this scenario, it would have probably been the other way around of like, oh, I don't understand the interface. It doesn't work for me. And to be clear, you don't have to spend money on either of them. You get a lot of these features for free. I think maybe the odd little bit is disabled in Castro and in Overcast unless you pay the premium fee, maybe the voice booster or, or, or whatever it may be. But you can still use them for free to do the fundamental thing, which is listen to podcasts or download them or schedule them or queue them, whatever it is you need to do. So don't let the fact that there's a, there may be an amount of money associated if you want to support the developer attached to them. So interestingly, in Castro, you don't get voice boost or smart speed until you pay. But in Overcast, you do. And Overcast, the premium things are to remove adverts and to allow you to upload any of your own files or media that you'd like. And you can change the icon. So that could say I don't really need to pay for Overcast, but I do just because I get a lot of use from it. Yeah, and I have paid in the past. He's tried a number of funding models, uh, Marco. He was doing monthly subscriptions for a while. He was doing an annual thing, and it sort of it moves around a fair bit as he looks for it. When we hear him talk on Accidental talk, Tech Podcasts, and he says he spent tens of thousands of dollars on servers over the years, I don't begrudge him asking for a little bit of money over the time to do it. So I think I pay £9 per annum. I usually do the annual ones. I think it's really good. No, So I, I think that's good. I, I think it's good ending. And actually, do you know what? Just one final thing. We were talking about buying apps. I did buy drafts today because for the month of April, it's five quid for the year to have the professional version. And I thought, do you know what? That's a good app. I don't use it a huge amount. I think it's only about £18 a year to have it. And I thought for a fiver, I'll definitely give the guy a fiver if I don't use it because he's done so much especially in the iPad space for automation. And it's always one of these apps I should give a bit more effort to using. It does a lot of good stuff, but that was just one thing I was going to say. I'd recommend drafts if anybody wants to play with it. Now is a great time to try it out for £5, which I think is a bargain for the amount of app that you get for the money. So a guy who's been podcasting in the Apple world for a long time is somebody called Merlin Mann. I don't know if you've come across Merlin in, in some of the podcasts. He, he does uh, a podcast with John Syracuse called Reconcilable Differences, which if you've got a quirky sense of humor, I think is worth the listen. And I know Merlin thinks Drafts is one of the greatest apps ever ever written. So yeah, I've never checked it out. This may be my opportunity to do so. I used it quite a bit actually when we were in the pandemic. I had various bits to do for work and I found it really useful but for whatever reason, my role changed a little bit at work and I wasn't using it as much, but I thought, yeah, I'll definitely give the guy five quid, like I say, even if I don't use it. And normally with subscriptions, I usually set them to, to not auto-renew and that way I can make a decision a year from now. But I'm assuming he's going to have a bumper payday a year from now when a lot of people that have paid a fiver for it renew. But there's so much you can do with it and it works on the iPhone and there is a Mac version too, but that, that just came across, across my feet today. I just bought the Mac version while we were talking, so go us. There you go. We've, we've supported some independence. I will feedback right. on drafts next week. I probably won't feedback on it next week, but maybe a few weeks from now. Good stuff. I think we can call that a show, Chris. That felt good to me. Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. It was really good. And it was good. 
having a listener post a question because we wouldn't have done that and it is healthy to go and see what else is outside absolutely couldn't agree more we're happy to explore stuff we're happy to check out and go in a bit more detail about any of the topics that we discuss otherwise you're just going to keep getting what we want to talk about so by all means ask us stuff and they can do that where chris well yeah so if you do want to get in contact if you drop us an email at wake from sleep at protonmail.com that's our email address and then equally you can reach out on twitter for the time being until we decide if we're going to carry on supporting elon and i and our username is wfs underscore podcast so if you want to get to us on twitter just drop us a tweet there and we're getting in contact thanks ever so much brilliant have a good week cheers well thanks <laughs>